Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Jesus once said, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. In our wisdom series so far, we've looked at the wisdom of Solomon from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We've also delved into the wisdom of Job. But there is one greater than Solomon and Job. In our last episode in this series, Daniel Calcagno of Ontario, Canada, is going to share with us a little bit of the wisdom of Jesus, mainly based on his Sermon on the Mount. Here now is episode 297, The Gospels, Jesus' Wisdom with Daniel Calcagno. When I first started getting serious about my faith a few years ago, I got into the Jewish roots of our faith, and one of the things that I learned was how to say the creed of Jesus, how to sing it in Hebrew, and then also in English. So it's a little different, but how about I lead it in Hebrew first, and then we'll sing it together in English, and then I'll say that last line. So it goes like this. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That's the melody. So let's sing, sing it in, in English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And then they add, blessed is his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. All right, so I just want to briefly tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm glad Sean told uh, my story in terms of uh, how I got connected to some of our unique beliefs and and how I got connected to Sean and other people in our movement. And that's the way I like to think of it. We're in a movement, right? Even though I'm part of the Church of God General Conference and, and many of you aren't, that doesn't mean we're not a part of the same movement of believers who are passionate for uh, truth and passionate for pursuing wisdom. But I come from a small city in Welland, uh, of Welland, right there in Ontario. And as Sean alluded to, the church that I'm pastoring now is right here, it's not even on the map. It's a little town called Font Hill, five minutes away. And there's also a church of God church in Welland as well, which Jacob, there's Jacob over there, and Aaron, where's Aaron? Aaron, go, uh, they go to and their family's a part of. And so our two churches are right there in the same area, and they're the only two Church of God churches uh, in Canada. So for me to look that up and say, there they are, I can be a part of a church that believes the way we do. It was, it was incredible. But as you can see, uh, we're right next to Niagara Falls, about 15, 20 minutes away from Niagara Falls, about 45 minutes away from Buffalo, and about an hour and 45 minutes away from Toronto. So it's a great place to live. And uh, we have you know, two big cities uh, close to us, and, and the Niagara region is a, is a wonderful place to live. Is that not true, Jacob and Aaron? Yep. I grew up attending a Pentecostal church in, in Welland. Uh, it's a relatively big church, about 600 people growing up. So I was used to uh, charismatic, uh, you know, big church life. I was your regular Christian kid. I went to church every Sunday, part of uh, church activities. And then as I grew older, I became part of the church worship team, playing the drums and that sort of thing. But I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I was there because my parents made me go. <laughs> And my family went, and I had friends there, and I was interested in the social element of church. And those aren't bad things. It's good to have friends at church and to want to go to church because you'll see your friends. But I tuned out the pastor every week, um, and I just wasn't wasn't into it for myself. I had no personal faith. Even though I believed in God and I believed in Jesus, I had no personal faith. But as I grew older and I reached about 19 years old, I was living my life for myself, and and I'm sure a lot of you have either gone through this or or certainly have friends who are going through this, that you live for your friends, you live for having a good time. So I would hang out with my friends late at night, every single night, as a 19-year-old, and don't get me wrong, and Jacob and Aaron know this, Welland is not a happening place, so uh, we would hang out at Tim Hortons and 7-Eleven. Do you guys even know what Tim Hortons is? (laughs) Yeah, we would hang out. It's open, the two places that are open all night, right? Tim Hortons and 7-Eleven, we would hang out there. And, but at the same time, even though not all my friends were like this, at the same time, 
I was drinking and, and getting high and I had a girlfriend and we were doing stuff, right? So that's the experience of so many young people. And guess what? It left me hollow. It left me unfulfilled. I felt incredibly aimless. But you know that those things have momentary pleasure in them. I think we alluded to that. Momentary pleasure in those things, but they don't fill you inside. They don't fulfill you. So the interesting thing that happened is I went through a breakup with that girlfriend. Some of my friends abandoned me. You know, it was all happening at the same time. And, you know, I don't think God was the cause of those things, but he used those things to show me, where are you going? Where, where are you going in your life? I clued in, I'm going nowhere. And, and what I would eventually understand is I was on a path to death and destruction, actually. I was on a path to nowhere good. So, maybe it was because I was raised as a Christian and, and I was a church kid, but I knew I needed God. And I actually, I can remember one night in my car, outside of Tim Hortons, one night in my car, sitting there, I had just gone through something, and I remember crying out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. It, it feels like I immediately changed, but in reality, it was probably over the course of a few days and a few weeks that God just completely changed my heart. Completely changed my heart. I now had purpose and focus. I knew the Creator. I knew His Son, Jesus. I was reading the Bible for the first time ever. You know, right? How, how can you go to church for, for 19 years and not read the Bible? But I did it, right? Obviously, I knew Bible stories and I knew parts of the Bible, but I had never read it for myself. I never read it in such a way where I'm like, this is speaking to me and I, and, and I have an application here. But I was reading it. And, and because my heart was open and I was humble, at that time, for the first time, it started to have an impact on my life. So, finally, the Bible is making sense to me. The Bible is speaking to me. All right, so get this. I made a decision to follow Jesus, to be a committed disciple of Jesus, and to be a worshiper of God. My life changed. I was now on a direction where I had fulfillment and purpose. And Believe me, life has not been perfect and, and not been amazing. It, it hasn't been uh, without challenges, but I have not regretted that decision once, and I've had amazing things in my life. Let me just show you a couple of things that have happened to me since I've made that decision. Well, first of all, put me on a path to eternal life rather than death. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> but then it also allowed me to, because I don't know if she would have been interested in me if I wasn't a committed believer, I, it allowed me to meet my wife, Sarah. And we just recently had our first son, Timothy. Uh, he's almost three months old. And as Sean alluded to, I've, uh, about almost five years ago, can't believe it's been that long already, I became the pastor at Glad Tidings Church of God in Font Hill in Ontario there. I, I encourage you, check out our website, check out our Facebook page and like it. It's just been a, a, a journey in and of itself learning how to become a pastor and how to lead and help lead a, and, uh, with others a, a church that is in need of growing, a church that is in need of transformation. That's where our church is at. We need young people. This is why this has been an amazing weekend for me and why when Sean called me up and asked me to come, I'm like, I think God is in this. Because we had just made the decision as leadership to say, okay, we just celebrated 50 years at that location. We've been in Font Hill for over 150 years. We need to focus on young people. We need to focus on young adults. And we just made that decision to be serious about that and to, and to, to be committed to that. And then I get the call, hey, why don't you come to Young Adults uh, Weekend? I'm like, uh, yeah, I think that would be helpful. <laughs> so you guys have been helpful to me to, to see uh, what young people are like and are going through, right? So, so I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, so life hasn't been perfect, but... It, Good things have happened, but by embracing God, embracing Jesus, I was able to find fulfillment in my life, and I was able to find, this is the important part, the source of fulfillment. I was able to know where the source is. Now, what are we searching for, right? What are we searching for in our lives? Because I think whether consciously or not, not, too, not everybody's consciously aware of this, but we're looking for fulfillment. We're looking for something to fill us inside to give us meaning and purpose, especially young people. Much of what young people do, and, and I was your age once, right? 
much of what young people do is to fill that void inside of them. And, and, I, and these are just the examples that came to my mind, but I, I think of a young woman who is going to boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend, constantly searching for something to fill that void, something to, to give her fulfillment. It's not going to be in a guy. Or what about you know, a young, young guy who's a womanizer, who's uh, out living for pleasure, like, like we read about Solomon, living for pleasure. They will find what Solomon found, which is that you're not going to find fulfillment in those things. You're not going to find meaning and purpose in those things. So when I see young people you know, getting drunk and getting high and having sex and all those sort of things, being wild, what I actually see when I look past the surface is people desperately looking for something deeper. That's what's happening. I don't see the outside, I see what's going on inside. And I know that because I was there, right? So, I'm not judging anyone, and if any of you are even currently living in that way, I'm not judging you. Again, I was there, and we all sort of go through a time in our lives where, where we're not sure where we should be going, what we should be doing. And that's normal. But that's why we have a weekend like this, so that we can pursue wisdom and find out where we should be going in our lives. It's funny because when I first became the pastor at Glad Tidings, that whole process of, uh, can I be your pastor? Yeah, we want, we want a young guy. We want a young guy to be our pastor. One of the things that appealed to this church, to Glad Tidings, was, hey, you're relatively young. You'll, you'll appeal to young people. But the joke was and is, is that I'm much more comfortable with older people. <laughs> I think it's because ever since I committed myself to God that I, I want to learn from people who are experienced and have wisdom, and I'm just much more comfortable with, with older people. But I think in writing this message and thinking about this, I've found exactly what I can still relate to young people with, and that is I have empathy for what you're going through. What you're going through in your life right now is difficult. If you don't know exactly what you're supposed to do in your life, if you haven't found a spouse yet, if you haven't found a job or a career yet, that's, that was my early 20s. I didn't know what I was supposed to do, I didn't have a great job, I had not yet met my wife, right? All of those things, and I felt aimless. Now, I had found purpose and meaning in God, as you guys probably have, right? But that still doesn't give us all of the answers immediately. We have to pursue wisdom and then use that wisdom to make choices. And let me just say this. To make choices, if you've learned God's wisdom, as we've been showing you that throughout Scripture, and, and in, especially in the person of Jesus, we can know God's wisdom, that you don't have to be racking your brain to make decisions about your life. If you are living by God's wisdom, and something seems right to you. And how many times do we see in the book of Acts, it seems right to the Holy Spirit. Go for it. Use wisdom, but go for it. I, that's what I encourage you to, to do as an aside. But here's the thing. I know where to find fulfillment. I know where to find purpose. And that is in the person of Jesus. And that's the interesting thing, is that the place where we find purpose is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings fulfillment. What do we mean by fulfillment, though? Like we, I've been using that word uh, often. Well, I read this book called Growing Young. Maybe some of you have read it. And, and they broke it down into, into three words. That we're looking to find identity. We're looking to find belonging. And we're looking to find purpose. That's fulfillment. <laughs> if you can find these three things, then you will probably be fulfilled in your life. Now, what, what, are, the, what are these three words refer to. Well, identity has to do with how you view yourself in the world. Like, where's your place in the world? Like, wh who are you among other people? Belonging has to do how you fit in the world. Where, where do you fit and, and among which people do you fit? What's your group association, if you will? And purpose has to do with how you fit in the world. Why are you here? What are you doing with your life? Now, each one of us is, ask, is, is asking these questions, and we're looking for the answers to these questions, right? And just to show you again, Jesus is the answer, right? Jesus is the answer to those questions. He perfectly answers all of these questions that we have about identity, belonging, and purpose. In Jesus, we find our identity because we are, in him, redeemed sinners, right? We are imperfect creatures who have found forgiveness from God. 
And through Jesus, we are now on a path to become something more than ourselves, something more like Jesus. So there's our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Secondly, we have belonging in Jesus because now, once you've embraced God through his son Jesus, you're now part of the family of God, right? You now have brothers and sisters, and, and your, your God is your father. So you have a place. If you don't feel like you belong anywhere, well, if you're one of God's, if you're, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have a place. It's among your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And thirdly, in Jesus we have purpose because we now have a mission. We have a mission, firstly, to grow ourselves. And I want to make this point. When Stan pointed out on Friday night that, that the pursuit of wisdom is for others, I agree with that. But see if this makes sense to you. That if you are in uh, disarray, if you're not where you should be, you can't really help others, right? You have to first make sure that you're in the right place and, and, and you're growing in wisdom in order to then help others. So my message is, and I think a lot of our messages have been, how can we grow ourselves in wisdom? And then the goal would be to share that wisdom with others. And we have that mission of making disciples, going out in the world, preaching the gospel, gospel of the kingdom, and bringing God's salvation to the world. Experiencing it ourselves, and then sharing it with the world. Does that make sense? So again, Jesus is the answer to the question of fulfillment. But I would say this, it's all summed up in this phrase that I've used already, the pursuit of wisdom. If we're talking about Jesus, we're not talking about some intellectual thing. There's plenty of people out there who have written books about Jesus or, or know a lot about Jesus, who have no relationship with God, who have no desire to really know God's wisdom. And so I'm not talking about something intellectual, as good as that is. I'm talking about the pursuit of wisdom as found in Jesus. That's what fulfillment is. It's found in the person of Jesus because he is the answer to the question of fulfillment. And, and this has been clear to me for many years now. And, and don't get me wrong, I think God is able to do miraculous things. Amen? Yes. He can do a miraculous change in your heart, in your life. We can pray for that. We can hope for that and, and look for that. But the reality is, and at least my own experience has been, it takes years and years to learn and grow in wisdom and to, and to make better choices. So it's both and. It's both an immediate, amazing experience with God, and you can have those on an ongoing basis, but it's also a choice that you make every day. For the most part, is something you do over time or in steps, and that's another, that's another key point, is it's in steps. Don't think that you're going to start here and then you're going to end up here in one step. It's going to take multiple steps, making tiny choices. Who, who was it that was just saying... Uh, I just blanked on, on who was saying that, oh, it was Blake uh, just now, right? He's saying, we know what the big things are in, in, are in our lives, but then there are those little things that maybe we need God to, to show us, right? Those are the little steps that actually eventually make a big impact on our lives. So again, it's a pursuit of wisdom, and I love wisdom. And guess what? That's what the word philosophy means. Philosophy means the love of wisdom, and I'm into philosophy. Now, I'm into philosophy so much that if you go on my social media, do you know how when you're on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you have to put little about me blurb about yourself? Well, I came up with this a few years ago. I like theology, philosophy, and Batman. That's what sums me up in a nutshell. I love those three things. But there's a reason why I love philosophy is because it's the pursuit of wisdom. It's the love of wisdom and pursuing wisdom. That's genuine philosophy. And I say genuine philosophy because there's a lot of garbage out there that's labeled philosophy. But I feel like, and I believe, that philosophy has to be about morality. About, as Stan and others have been say, said, that it's about virtues or qualities. It's about character growing. It's about how you see the world, how you understand the world, how you understand morality, and how it affects you in terms of how you grow in virtue and character. That is what genuine philosophy, the love of wisdom is, and that's what it is that we're looking for. So let's look at the, the wisdom of God. The pursuit of wisdom. And, and one thing is for sure, and, we, and it's, it's wonderful, we've been looking at 
what did we look at? The Proverbs, we looked at Ecclesiastes, we looked at Job. But to me, the scripture is clear that God's commandments, and Victor touched on this yesterday, God's commandments, and this is what Solomon ended Ecclesiastes with, God's commandments are the foundation of God's wisdom. They're an expression of his wisdom. And this is what it says in Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord, so there's that phrase again, the fear of the Lord, as we've been looking at. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. I think it was Jerry yesterday, he's talked about Hebrew parallelism, right? About how sometimes the scripture will say one thing and then say a second line, and it's the same thing, it's just said slightly differently so that you can get the point. I think this is what this is here. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the fear of the Lord is doing his commandments. This is why Solomon coupled those things together in Ecclesiastes. Fearing God means doing his commandments. It's a matter of understanding that God knows what's best for us. Do we, uh, do we believe that God knows what's best for us? It, well, if that's the case, then maybe we should do what he said. And, and that's the thing. Like, If you do what God says... It's just he has your best interests at heart. And and so it works out for you. It's a win-win. So in God's commandments, his instructions, we find God's wisdom. And in fact, it's what leads to success. As it says in Joshua, he said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Look at this. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Who here wants to be prosperous and have success? Amen? Well, the causal relationship here is keeping God's commandments, that is, pursuing his wisdom, living out his wisdom, and then that will bring success. Now, we did talk about how this world isn't what it should be, and sometimes, even though you do the right thing, Things don't go well. So I'm not saying this is going to be an absolute guarantee. But the the general direction of your life must be pursuing wisdom, living out God's ways, and success and prosperity will come as a result. So if you want to find identity, belonging, and purpose, then you need to pursue God's wisdom. And... While God's wisdom is in the Torah, is in the the five books of Moses, the commandments, and that was then reiterated throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, that's what Solomon was talking about and all these different things, we, as people living in the present, after Jesus has come, we have the embodiment of God's wisdom in the person of Jesus the Messiah. Right? It is to Him, and to Him only, I think, I believe that we should look for wisdom. Now, I'm glad we looked at lots of, in the Hebrew Scriptures, I love the whole Bible. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus is called the wisdom of God. Right? So we should look at him and keep our eyes fixed and focus on him. This is what it says at the beginning of, of Hebrews. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, all of the Hebrew Scriptures, which is wonderful and great, and we should read and study that, But look at, he said, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, and Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. The uh, New Living Translation paraphrases and says, the exact representation of his character. I like that. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's getting to the point, at least, is that Jesus is different than what came before in that he is the perfect revelation of God. That, that God revealed himself in many ways in the Hebrew Scriptures, but we can look to Jesus and be absolutely certain that's what God looks like. He's not just a prophet. He is the prophet of God. He's the true reflection of God's character and of God's wisdom, all summed up in one person. Again, that's the verse there, Christ the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians. Jesus is the summation of, of all of God's already revealed wisdom. So everything that is good in the Hebrew Scriptures that accurately reflects God and His wisdom, it's all summed up in Jesus, and then He takes it even further. He brings it to us in a fresh way, in a way that will transform our lives. 
And it's interesting that even from a Jewish perspective, they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they, they say something like this. It says this in the Midrash Rabbah, which is sort of like a commentary on the Bible. It says, the Torah which we study in this age is not in comparison to the Torah of Messiah. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Well, guess what? We have the Torah of Messiah. <laughs> in Jesus, we're part of the New Covenant, which is, uh, includes the Torah, but it's the Torah on our heart. Right? It's God's ways on our heart. And so my, my hope and my goal, as we're about to look at some of Jesus' teachings where we can really glean some wisdom, is that you will commit yourself to he who is the embodiment of God's wisdom, Jesus Christ, right? So let's, let's look at this, because actually Jesus said this to us, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Become my disciple, become someone who is committed to him. Our responsibility is what? To learn from him. That's, again, the pursuit of wisdom, so I encourage you, we can't, you know, for the sake of time, we can't look at everything, obviously. We can just look, I'm just going to show you just a little bit from the Sermon on the Mount in terms of Jesus' wisdom. But I, I encourage you, make it a goal for 2019 to read through the Gospels and, and have a special lookout for God's wisdom as revealed in Jesus' teachings. We can't do anything but be benefit from doing that, right? So let's look at a little bit from Matthew chapter 5. Firstly, there are, there's wisdom in the Beatitudes. The first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5 are called the Beatitudes because each line begins with blessed are. And, and I guess in Latin, that's where you get the word Beatitudes. So, for example, here's the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and in each of these blessed are statements, we're getting... Amazing tidbits of wisdom, and I want to show you this. He's giving us instructions on how we can be blessed. Do you want to be blessed today? Yeah. It's funny because actually, and those of you who have studied this, you know that that first word, blessed, in each of these phrases, it's really debated whether it should be translated blessed. And there's lots of different translations as to what it could be. It's not a great English word or translation. So, you know, rightly or wrongly, I'm going to use the word fulfilled. I don't think I have, so I just got to imagine, I don't think I have a, a slide for that, yeah. So just insert the word, instead of blessed, say, fulfilled are the poor in spirit, because it is to them the kingdom of God belongs. Those, and get that, the kingdom of God, we believe in the coming kingdom of God, amen? amen. That those who will be raised to life when Jesus returns, when God's kingdom is established by Jesus in Jerusalem, it's not going to be necessarily the mighty or the rich. It's not going to be the powerful, as you would expect. When, when the king comes, and who does he choose to be a part of his kingdom? It's those who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? Poor in spirit. A person who is poor in spirit is somebody who has taken the time to stop, pause, look at themselves, and realize that we don't measure up to God's standard. You, it, it requires humility. This is going to be something we're going to see over and over, and I want you to remember this. Humility is the basis of wisdom. If you are not humble, then you will not pursue wisdom, because wisdom is the idea that somebody else knows something more than I do. God knows more than I do. And I'm going to be humble and realize that I am not where, what I should be, and so I want to pursue God's wisdom so I can grow and become what I should be. And I want to really make this clear. I'm preaching to myself here. I have so many areas of my life that I need to grow in, right? And so this is something that we're all in together. And this is one of the beautiful things about this sort of weekend. We can be there for each other. and We can encourage one another. But Jesus gives us a great example in the scripture in Luke chapter 18 of a great example of somebody who is poor in spirit. He talks about a tax collector, the worst of the worst, tax collectors. No, no laugh there? Okay. Aren't they terrible? No. Um, <laughs> there you go. And, he, and this is what it says of him, right? That he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. So just imagine this. This guy is so poor in spirit, so humble, humbled by, by 
realizing how good God is and how not so good he is, that he won't even look, look up to heaven, but instead was beating his breast, sorry, which, was, which is sort of, a, a, there's actually a, a tradition on Yom Kippur to beat your breast as you repent of your sin, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a way to say that you are humbled and that you really mean this. And he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So again, let me say this. Humility is the path to the kingdom of God. If you want to be in the kingdom of God when it comes, we must be humble. Humility is a prerequisite for wisdom because in pursuing wisdom, you recognize that you don't know everything and you need somebody to show you the way. And God has given us the way. All of the Beatitudes, I encourage you to read through them. All of them have great wisdom packed into them. But let's just look at one more for this morning and then we'll look at something else in the the Gospels. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this is not too different because it's talking about being pure in heart. Previously just said poor in spirit, but here it's pure in heart. And if you are pure in heart, you will see God. Now, putting yourself back in the shoes of of uh, the Israelites that Jesus was uh, teaching here, they, if, if they wanted to see God, where would they go? Yeah, they'd go to the temple. That's where God was, if you will, right? So if they wanted to see God, not, they didn't have to be pure in heart. They had to be ritually pure. You've ever read through Leviticus? <laughs> yeah, it, it's tough. But there's all those ritual purity laws and the whole idea is, and, and it's complicated, and I'm not sure I understand exactly how it all works, but you had to be ritually pure in order to be able to go to the temple and worship God with his holy presence there. And so, to be po- pure in ritual, then you could go see God. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, if you want to see God, and that is really know him, really understand him, really recognize him, then you have to be pure in heart. Your, your mind, your, your, who you are, needs to become pure. Ritual purity had its purpose for the temple, but purity of heart is what allows us to see and understand God and to know him forever and ever. Now, why does the heart need to be purified? Because the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. So the pure in heart are those who have recognized their sin. Again, it's like being poor in spirit. You've mourned over your sin. Who, who here understands that when we sin, that that's hurtful, in a sense, to God? It's hurtful, a lot of the times, to other people. And do you not mourn over that? Right? Do we not mourn over our sin? And we say, we think to ourselves, I, I wish I didn't do that. That's not a bad feeling to have because I don't want us to wallow in it But use that to repent and to move forward in in goodness. I don't want to misrepresent this. God's Spirit has to be working in our hearts for any of this to work, right? So open yourself up to God and His Spirit, and, and God will work in your hearts to show you where you've gone wrong, where we've gone wrong, and how we can repent and be become poor in spirit and pure of heart. But if we do that, this is the promise. If we do become pure in heart, we will see God. And I think among probably several things that I could say about what it means to see God, I think it means this. We will see him for who he truly is, a God of love. A God who is not angry. (laughs) I mean... Scripture talks about God being angry, but, but I, I want to say that if, if you are repenting in his son Jesus, he's not angry at you. His justice has been satisfied that you can come to him in his grace. And if you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. What a wonderful verse that is, right? It, it represents how we understand Jesus and his relationship to God. That he is God's agent. He is God's representative. If you've seen Jesus, you see what God is like. And you can be confident about what God is like because of how Jesus represents him. So guess what? If you're pure in heart, you're then going to have the kind of heart that can see Jesus for who he truly is. Perfect representation of God. Poor in spirit, pure in heart, and that's what will lead to relationship with God and a place in the kingdom of God. A couple more verses I want to show you. It's a little further on in Matthew chapter 5. 
Jesus says something to the effect of uh, that he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. Well, what does he mean by that? I think he's getting at that he's going to be the perfect teacher of God's law, as we saw that quote earlier. The way that Jesus teaches God's ways is going to be so much better than anything we could have studied on our own, right? And what he did was, and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this phrase before, what Jesus did was he built fences. He built fences around God's commandments. This is a a Jewish um, way of understanding the commandments. Let's just pick any commandment of God, and and God says, you are not to murder. We're going to look at this in just a second, right? You are not to murder, all right? What does it mean to build a fence? Well, just imagine building a fence around that commandment. And what, and what we mean by that is, these are things that you would do in addition to the commandment so that you're not even going to get to the commandment. It's, it's, it's things that are going to keep you away from ever even breaking God's commandments. And this is a, a Jewish practice to do this. And I think Jesus is, did it the best way. So let me show you what I mean with a couple examples from Matthew chapter 5. So, he said, he's quoting Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. He said, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder. So there it is, the commandment to not murder. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty. So guess what he's doing here? He's cutting right to the heart of the matter. He's getting us to, he's building a fence around that commandment of not murdering so that we can deal with that which leads us there. If you deal with anger first, you're never going to get to the commandment of not murdering. You're never going to break that. So Jesus digs deep past the surface. This is how he, he is the best teacher of God's wisdom ever, because he is digging past the surface and getting to the heart of the matter. Just another example that comes to mind is, is when, when Jesus said it's in the same chapter. He's saying to I think the Pharisees is saying that, you know, Moses permitted you to get a divorce, but that's not the way it was from the beginning. And I say that just to make this point, is that God has an ideal. He will accommodate us often, but he has ideals, and that's our ultimate goal, right? So think about this. Think about God's commandments, his wisdom, as a way to internalize God's goodness, God's ways in your hearts. Every time you read something like do not murder, think of it as an, what Jesus is showing us here. It's an opportunity to think to ourselves, okay, I know, he, I know God doesn't want us to murder, but what does he really, really want us to do? Well, he also doesn't want us to be angry with our brother. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with anger in and of itself. Anger is a God-given emotion. Sometimes anger is a good thing because it actually tells you something's not right. <laughs> right? You get angry, it's like, something's not right, I need to address this. So get this, it's what you do with your anger that matters. You don't have to put up your hand, but does anybody deal with a bad temper? (laughs) Okay, it's what you do with that that matters. How you treat people. (laughs) So here's the thing. If we, with God's help, with God's power, are in control of our anger, we are never going to get to the point where we will escalate that anger to the point of violence or murder. You see how that works? You deal with the heart issue. Because the heart is desperately sick and deceitful. But through Jesus, the wisdom that he shares with us, we can get to the heart issue. And we look to God, and we're poor in spirit, we're pure in heart, we're humble, and we say, God, deal with that heart issue in me. I want to pursue God's wisdom. I want to keep his commandments. But I can't do that unless you deal with my heart. So that's the first one. You're not going to ever murder if you deal with anger first. But then he also gives this example. You have heard that it was said, quoting Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, he's quoting the commandment to not commit adultery. What is adultery? It is engaging in a sexual relationship with somebody who is not your spouse. The Bible is quite clear 
you know, we might want to get around this sometimes, but it's quite clear that sex needs to stay within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman, right? Now, get, <laughs> I alluded to, the, to this earlier. God is not giving us these ways, these instructions, to stifle our fun. <laughs> or, or it's not like he doesn't understand how strong our urges can be sometime, right? God understands that. But he also knows what's best for us. And he knows what's best for human society, too. Right? And it's within the confines of a loving and committed marriage that children will come and, and grow within. And so that's why God says, you know, let's keep sex within the marriage uh, institution because that's where families can grow. That's where good things can happen. Now, again, let me just make this really clear. God has his ideals, and that is his ideal. That marriage should be between a man and a woman, and, and, and that's the only place where sexual relations happen. But guess what? God's grace is bigger than our sin. Right? If, if you are maybe even currently living in a way that you shouldn't be in terms of, of sexual immorality, or if you come from a, a family background where it's a broken home or a divorce or whatever, I'm not condemning you. God does not condemn you. And in fact, God overcomes anything that we can bring to the table. Any, any, any situation that we can say, well, this was my background, this is my situation, well, God is bigger than that, and he will use you. But let's keep his ideals focused on his ideals, right? Let's, let's try to strive for his ideals because why do things like divorce even happen, right? Sometimes there's a need that's going unfulfilled, right? It goes back to that fulfillment thing. It's not being found in your marriage partner, so then you try to look outside, you look to somebody else, and you hope that fulfillment will come through them. But really, what is that? It's really just lust, like, I think, you know, I don't have too many people in my life who, who, are, who are divorced, but I, I have somebody in my, uh, in my family who, who was divorced. And I know exactly what that was that led to that decision to leave that family. It was lust. It was misguided. It was misguided um, thinking that she needed fulfillment, but really it was just she needed fulfillment of lust. And so that's what Jesus is getting at here, is that Jesus' point was that lust proves that adultery has already occurred in the heart. It's a deeper issue. So we're going back to that. That Jesus is cutting to the deeper issue. Adultery is bad, and we shouldn't do it, but the deeper issue is, what do we do with the lust that's in our heart? And I think Jesus is assuming that we're going to lust, but he's saying that that is an indication that your heart is not where it should be. So what does that mean? Bring your hearts to the Lord. Now, now and again, just like anger, sexual attraction is not wrong. It's God-given, but it's what you do with it. And it's how we go to God and we say, God, let's be honest. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I want to do. But I know that you are the source of wisdom. Jesus has shown me a better way. I'm going to choose to pursue the better way. And God will give you a new heart, a pure heart, a clean heart, and the power to live that way. So, as I said before, there's plenty that we could have looked at. And I just want to end with this. Just a call to each of you. And I, and I count it as a privilege to be the last speaker of this weekend because I want to encourage you to pursue God's wisdom as specifically as revealed in the person of Jesus in the way he lived his life, in his teachings, and I think of this, and as I said earlier, that I think that we are of our movement, those of us who believe in the kingdom of God on the earth and all the unique things that we believe in, we are sort of like a movement. So what should we be known for? For, those, for that theology? Sure, that's not bad. But I think more than anything else, we should be known as a movement of people who are pursuers of wisdom. That when people look at us, they say, I, you know, I don't know if I agree with exactly their theology, but I can't deny that those people are pursuing wisdom and they're pursuing, you know, they're on a path to become more than what they are. Look at what it says in Proverbs. 
A wise person will hear and will increase in learning. So, do you want to be a wise person? Amen? So let's remember what we looked at just very briefly. That if we look to Jesus, we have found the wisdom of God. We have found God's wisdom embodied in the person of Jesus. And that will lead to fulfillment because we will find identity and belonging and purpose. And we can be assured of a future hope. That if you're poor in spirit, if you're humble, if you're pure in heart, that you will have a place in God's kingdom. God's grace is bigger than, than anything that we can bring to him and, and repent of. There is nothing that God hasn't seen before. Right? He's aware of everything that has ever been done, and he's not surprised by it. He's waiting, ready, willing, and eager to forgive you of your sins and to embrace you and to lift you up and empower you. Right? And, and, and put you on a path towards eternal life, a path that includes wisdom. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Father, I thank you so much that we've been given this opportunity to come together here, here in this place. So many of us from different parts of, of North America, Lord, that we, we've been able to come together. We have the freedom to come together like this. We thank you for that freedom. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us in your son the perfect example of wisdom, the perfect example of what it means to serve you. And that through him we can have forgiveness, through him we can have life, both now and in the age to come. And we're grateful for that. And Lord, at this time, as we close our weekend, as we close this part of the service, Lord, I, I just pray for each and every person who's here, who's contemplated what we've been talking about, about wisdom, and maybe are not exactly sure what they need to do. I pray, God, that you would show them, even in this moment, what it is in their own lives and in their own relationships that they need to address and come to you with. And that we would all be better off as a result. So that we can be a real force for good and love in this world. We thank you so much for your love and your grace that you express to us in your son Jesus. And we just pray that we would continue to walk with him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this concludes our Wisdom series. If you'd like to check out other podcasts in this series, you can just scroll back in the feed or click on the link in the show notes. I also did a couple of interviews with Daniel Calcano in the past. You can check those out at Interview 34 and Interview 35. Also, if you would like to get more information about coming to Revive 2020, it's a young adult event. You have to be 20 or older to attend. That's held in Woodstock, Connecticut, not to be confused with the much more famous Woodstock, New York. You can get more information about that at lhim.org, Living Hope International Ministries, lhim.org, slash revive. And you will be able to uh, see the, the pricing and the, a lot more of the details that go along with that. Last of all, I did want to mention that we are having a gospel seminar on Saturday. That's in two days, which will be October 26th, 2019. And although I realize most of you who are listening to this do not live in the Albany, New York area, we are planning to live webcast this seminar. So this enables you to join us virtually online. And the seminar is is taught by Joshua Anderson of Arkansas. The seminar's title is Nations and Neighbors Announcing the Gospel, a Practical Seminar. And here is a short description. Hey guys, my name is Josh Anderson. I spent the last two years as a missionary in Japan, where basically my day job was to announce the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. And now that I'm back uh, here in America, I'll be doing a seminar, a practical seminar, on announcing the good news of the gospel. Uh, which is another way of saying evangelism. But let's be honest, I think a lot of us kind of don't like that word or even the act of it because sometimes it feels like a host of a lot of other things we don't really mean. It feels pushy. It feels like we're trying to sell something. Um, it feels forced and awkward and just 
plain rude sometimes in this day and age. So at this seminar, what I want to do is be able to give you a framework to understand what's going on inside of you, why we, why we feel those things. Even those of us who are really seriously dedicated to uh, preaching the message, you know, how, why do we still feel a host of all these other baggages that go along with it? What's happening? How do we get here? And what, what can we actually do about it uh, to change and to grow? Um, so yeah, we want to do that. And then also it's going to be a very practical-based seminar. Uh, where I will give you tangible things that you could be thinking of and, and doing and modeling your life uh, to be more effective in this. Because we don't want to just be faithful at it. Uh, we also want to be effective at making disciples and preaching uh, the good news. Uh, so I'd be really blessed uh, if you consider joining us. Um, you can see the details here, and I look forward to working together with you. God bless. Right, so if you'd like to join this, you can do so by going to lhim.org and clicking the webcast link. Or in the show notes for this episode, you can click on the direct link to the YouTube live stream for that. We are planning on recording this event and depending, and, and hopefully we'll be able to play it out in a future episode. But I, honestly, I have so much material prepared for you in the in the next few weeks here that it would be quite some time before uh, we got to this. So this is your chance to get in on it right now, to get in, in on it for free, and to benefit from what Mr. Anderson has to share with us. Also, I wanted to let you know that next week in our next episode, I am putting out an interview I did with Scott Shea, a, an Orthodox Jew from New York City who wrote a book called In Good Faith. So stay tuned for that. He's got some interesting takes on some key issues that atheists and non-believers and skeptics raise against the faith and ways of responding to them. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.